Hey everyone, welcome back to Nutrition Lifestyles. I'm Kim. And I'm Joanne. So today we are going to be discussing intuitive eating. Now, this is a topic everyone may not be familiar with if you are not in the nutrition profession. So we're going to be discussing it with somebody who is an expert in that arena. Um, So Kim, when did you start hearing about intuitive eating? You know, I've heard about it for a little while now, but I've never really paid attention to it until like a couple years ago when I saw that it was getting um, a lot of traction on social media. So I'm not certain, and this is actually one of the questions that I have today for our guest, but I think it has to do with like the haze and like the mindful eating approach and things of that nature. Yeah, it's the same thing for me. I, I started paying attention to it maybe a couple of years ago. I've heard of, of it before, but I didn't start paying attention until um, a couple of years ago. So just to give you guys a little background, Intuitive eating was coined around 1995, the term intuitive eating. It was coined by two dietitians who felt that diet culture was in fact doing the opposite of what it should be doing. So it is a non-diet, person-centered approach. So Kim, you know, we've had this discussion before. What do you think about intuitive eating? Oh my goodness. You know, a lot of times I try to be politically correct, but I realize since um, season two, episode one of season two has premiered, um, I just got to be me. Honestly, seeing that I have never looked into intuitive eating, um, we're going to do that today. I honestly feel intuitive eating from what I'm seeing on social media promotes Mm -hmm. weight gain and eating what you want when you want how much cookies you want when you want etc that is honestly the burning impression in my mind at this time what about you i i agree with you 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 see a lot of that on social media of people promoting intuitive eating and mindful eating but what we're seeing is that we're seeing people who are saying you can eat whatever you want breakfast lunch and dinner and i i'm kind of worried about the fact that in my community in the black community how people are who have been battling um certain conditions that or have been trying to manage certain conditions how they are viewing this you know are they gonna be like oh so now i can eat whatever i want and i could do whatever i want you know it you know intuitive eating talks about it, there's no there's no bad food you can eat whatever food you want and you let your body tells you tell you or at least this is what I I think we're gonna let Ayana explain to us exactly what intuitive eating is but letting your body tell you when to stop eating but my question is what about the pe- person who doesn't have control over what they eat are we preaching to them to eat? Um, until they let their bodies tell them to stop eating? What if they don't know what that sounds like? They don't know how to listen to their body um, cues when it comes to hunger and being full. Mm, You're hitting on some good points because, yeah, what about that person that doesn't have, like, the leptin and the ghrelin um, to regulate how much they eat or how much they don't eat? So I know part of intuitive intuitive eating is getting rid of ideas what you should and should not eat, the good food or the bad food. And I agree with that because I don't think food should be labeled as good or bad. But like as a diabetes educator, I do have a little problem with that 
because more so like on how much you should be eating like that aspect of things because I mean there are certain conditions that do require you to have restrictions and um, this is where like medical nutrition therapy comes into play so that is my that's my qualms that's what we say in Jamaica my qualms at this time <laughs> with intuitive eating exactly you know you know I see people eating cupcakes and you know, cookies and what at all times of the day and saying, you know, it's okay to do this. And truth be told, most of us have been doing this for years. Like we've been loving the food that we eat and eating our cultural foods. And we have been told not to eat those things per recommendations in regards to lifestyle changes that one should make to, to, to not have diabetes and not have high blood pressure and not be obese and all of a sudden it's it's being changed and we're preaching intuitive eating and being free to eat what you want and what you will and for me you know we discussed this Kim in regards to the fact that in my family like my genes I'm predisposed to a lot of stuff like diabetes runs in my family high blood pressure runs in my family I have people with cancer I mean, there's a lot of diseases that run in my family. So I, I really need to be mindful about what I eat. Because of your genetic predisposition. Because of my genetic predisposition. That is true. I can definitely understand that. So for all of your questions and my questions that um, I have as well, we have today a registered dietitian by the name of Ayana, who is a nutrition therapist. She is a certified intuitive eating counselor and macro social worker. She is the founder of Truly Real Nutrition, T-R-U-L-Y, Truly Real Nutrition, which is a private nutrition practice where she empowers clients to give up dieting in exchange for trusting their bodies and breaking free from food rules that result in feelings of failure as well as shame. She encourages her clients to embrace the beauty, power, and connection that their food traditions, personal experiences, and values adds to their lives. Ayana is committed to increasing awareness of intuitive eating and weight-inclusive principles within the Black community, y'all. She believes that weight-normative approaches to health and wellness only serve to exacerbate body image issues. It causes stress and anxiety, which all contribute to increased rates of chronic diseases, which is often seen in the Black communities. Am I lying, Joanne? I'm not lying, not at all. So Ayana has 15 plus years of experience educating the public on the relationship between the nutrition environment and health outcomes. Prior to transitioning to private practice, she worked with community leaders and local politicians as a nutrition policy advocate and community nutrition educator in the healthcare field as a clinical dietitian at Mercy Philadelphia Hospital and as an award-winning top-performing account manager at a Fortune 500 company. So... Welcome to the show, Ayana. We are so happy to have you here to speak to us all about intuitive eating. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here, ladies. Welcome. So, Ayana, we are discussing intuitive eating today. And I want you to tell the people, because most of us outside of the nutrition world do not know what intuitive eating is. So I want you to go into that and explain to the people what intuitive eating is and explain how the black girl or black person um, can apply intuitive eating into their lives? 
Sure. So in general, intuitive eating, it's a self-care eating framework that utilizes 10 principles to help reteach us how to trust our bodies to guide us to make the best eating decisions for ourselves. So alongside the 10 principles, we also work with our clients. We, like intuitive eating counselors or people who specialize in intuitive eating, to build something called interoceptive awareness. So I'll explain what that is and then tie it all together. So interoceptive awareness is being able to perceive the sensations that arise within the body. So for example, a fast heartbeat, being able to perceive that and understand what your body is communicating to you in that situation. Or even hunger or fullness, like where you feel it, you know, do you feel it in your head, in your stomach? So being able to understand and communicate with your body when it's communicating, uh, when it's talking to you through sensations. And, and that's a key to becoming more attuned with your body uh, so that you can understand and then respond to its needs. So um, it involves, intuitive eating involves a reintegration of mind with body by prioritizing body knowledge over external cues like food rules and calorie counting and portion sizes. And I like to um, emphasize reintegrate or reintegration because we tend to, as humans, we tend to become disconnected from our bodies due to socialization within diet culture. And so as a result, we end up relying on external food rules to govern our choices. So um, I like to say reintegrate because we're learning how to listen to and to rely on our body signals signals and the messages that it's sending us. So mm-hmm. for Black women specifically, I think intuitive eating is so empowering. Offers, you know, reassurance that who we are and, and our choices aren't wrong. And it really, I would say for me, it's really helped me find my own voice among all the noise of diet culture and anti-Blackness. Um, so it reconnects us to our culture and gives us permission to embrace our bodies as they are and how they're meant to be. I think the framework is a self-centering framework. It centers you and, and no one else. And it and that helps to validate you know, our own personal experiences. And it's so important when we're trying to improve ourselves because, you know, we can't improve ourselves if we hate who we are and we that hate or, or if we think our historical foods are so bad or even the foods that we were used to eating or even the foods that are associated with, with Black people, if we don't think that they're good or even if we believe that we're only good at a certain size. So we're not just telling ourselves that, you know, it's okay to embrace and enjoy our traditional foods it's it, it goes deeper than that we're, we're right. learning to experience them in a more positive way does that make sense mm-hmm. so you said something um in regards to diet culture explain to our listeners define the words diet culture sure so it's like the accumulation of like our customs our values the things that we use in an everyday basis and it's shared by people in relation to our diet, our nutrition, and our exercise behavior. And it's it's like the dominant worldview, you know, at least in our country, at least in the Western world, um, by which health and wellness are viewed and understood. So diet culture is basically how we understand mm-hmm. our health behavior and, and our fitness behavior and our nutrition behavior. But it's but it's harmful 
because it values certain body types, it values certain behaviors, it values, you know, certain foods and moralizes food as good or bad and, and values body types like thinner body types or more muscular body types or more shapelier body types, especially within our communities over larger, you know, larger bodies or uh, bodies that aren't more shapely. Mm, understood. Mm. So let me ask you this question. So I know earlier when you were mentioning intuitive eating, you stated that it it's based on 10 principles. So my question has always been, because, you know, in social media, especially like you hear about like healthy at every size and mindful eating, is that part of the intuitive eating framework? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so intuitive eating is a health at every it is based in like the health at every size social social justice model. So mm-hmm. with intuitive eating, we don't promote weight loss. We don't we don't sell weight loss. We don't tell people that you will definitely lose weight with intuitive eating. So it is a non-diet approach and and is very closely related to health at every size principles. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, okay. As a black woman growing up in a black community, you mentioned that you mentioned something related to diet culture. So in the black community, having a little more meat on your bones is acceptable. And I've personally struggled to quote unquote, get thick by, (laughs) by eating large portions. So this seems to differ a lot from the intuitive eating framework where you were saying, you know, in reintegrating yourself, having it be a little more empowering. Um, so could you explain a little bit about that? Like in the black community, how that Mm. contrasts with, uh, intuitive eating, the get thick mentality. Yeah, so that get thick mentality, it's just it's just a little different because our standards of beauty are a little bit different. Like our standards of beauty and like those cultural standards of size. So mm. it's still a it's still something that we desire that might be unattainable. You know what I mean? So it still falls into like diet culture, but okay, like I see. a subculture within diet culture, like a subculture for for black communities, if that makes sense. Right. So what I'd say like the eighth principle of intuitive eating is respect your body. And this is one of my favorite principles. And this principle is just basically means take care of your body by nourishing it, wearing comfortable clothes, you know, being compassionate towards your body. But it also means acknowledging that we all have unique genetic makeup and some bodies are fat and some bodies are skinny and some are in between. So with that said, you know, having a desire to get thick is based on external factors like uh, cultural standards of beauty, like I said. So within a particular culture or within Black cultures or Black communities, that body is more valued. Just like a thinner body is going to be more valued with like dominant white culture. You know, and so we're human. We want to be valued and we want to be desired. And so the desire to get thick, you know, when you're naturally thin, you know, that's not something that develops from within. That comes from influences outside of ourselves that can be like categorized within, you know, diet culture. Mm-hmm. And so there's nothing wrong with that per se, Kim, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say the goal of intuitive eating is to help you have a peaceful relationship with food and your body. So wanting to change your body based on external cues or, you know, what's desired 
it can right. interfere with that because you're going to, you know, you're going to choose food and movement activities based around that. You'll have to ignore your body's sensations and the messages that your body is sending you in order to achieve that aesthetic. You know, so if your genetic makeup largely determines that you're meant to have a relatively small body, but you want to add more to that, you'll have to exceed what your body needs on a regular basis. And that can become exhausting, you know, just like with weight loss, that it can become exhausting when you're constantly trying to suppress your weight. So Ayana, so what I'm getting from this is that you're saying that basically intuitive eating is not different from culture to culture. It's pretty much the same principles, right? Yes. So why now though? Why are we doing this now? Um, with intuitive eating, because to me, black people, black community, we they've been doing this for ages, like trying to eat the foods that they want to eat and um, loving their bodies the way they are. And for years, we've been telling them, no, you need to lose weight. You need to be this size. Um, you need to eat this type of food. You need to eat it this way. And now all of a sudden we're switching it up. Yeah, I love that question, Joanne. So there, there are a couple different things. So I know from my standpoint, I'm seeing that what we've been telling people, you know, first of all, it's not based on any research that comes from us. You know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. really, you right. know, I don't, I don't know what this, what it's based on. I think it's really, honestly, like anti-blackness and right, you know, right. in large bodies, like you, you can't be large or you can't mm-hmm. be thick. It's dangerous. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and I know we have high incidences um, and a high prevalence of chronic diseases, but I mm-hmm. think it's incorrectly related or correlated with our diets and our movements. And, um, and I think why now too is because we're realizing that these recommendations aren't working. They're not working. They're causing psychological distress. We're mm-hmm. seeing that, um, I don't like to use the word, but we are seeing that rates of obesity, they're not you know, decreasing significantly. I believe they might still be rising. And so all these anti-obesity interventions and this talk about you know, weight loss and eat this and eat that, um, it's not really helpful. You can't just ignore who you are and ignore your traditional foods and, and, and our body types are just different. Even with being, uh-huh, were you going to say something? I was going to say, is this because the recommendations that we've had out for years are made up of recommendations and study um, or made up of studies or made up from studies that were done with predominantly Caucasian and non-Black people. So when these studies were done and these recommendations were pulled from these studies, they didn't take into account the Black culture and what we actually would need to be or do things in a wellness manner, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. It makes a lot of sense. And even to add to that, I would say that they don't really control in these studies. They don't control for like food access and like income or any of those things. It's just like, okay, this person is in a larger body and they have diabetes. Therefore, a larger body causes diabetes. Well, what about lack of sleep? Mm -hmm. And what about access to food? And what about normally if somebody has less access, for example, they're going to want highly palatable foods. They're going to want something that's higher in sugar. And, you know, if they're 
blood sugar is high and they don't have access to insulin or they don't have access to adequate Mm -hmm. medical care or compassionate medical care Mm -hmm. um, in their cells. I mean, I I don't know if I'm going too deep. Go go deep. (laughs) Go deep. Blood sugar is really high. It's like they're going to want sweeter foods, you know? So I just think that we're only looking at like one small piece of the puzzle when we're saying, you know, eat eat this way. You're wrong. It's just like a, a small piece of the puzzle. But to answer your question about why now, I think we're just realizing that the interventions and the way that we're going about it just isn't working. But yeah, that's something I want to, you know, think a little bit more about. You know, I'm so happy that you mentioned that this anti-obesity interventions are really taking a hold upon the population, but people need to consider um, food access and income and sleep and mm-hmm. insulin and all and all of those things because I know like previous to us pressing recording on this episode all three of us had a conversation about different things that we see on social media mm-hmm. um, like earlier this week I said to you guys that there was someone on social media that was promoting um, you know just go ahead and have that donut go ahead and have that cookie for breakfast but, lunch or dinner whichever one right and if you want that second helping of apple pie go ahead and get that second helping but i'm glad ayana that you put it into perspective and in saying that no you need to take into consideration the whole person you need to consider what is their access to food what is their income what is their other factors that may be affecting their um their environment and hence things that can affect them so my question i said all of that to say um <laughs> so For someone that lives in the inner city, an inner city minority, whether that is an African-American person or Hispanic person, et cetera, these people who do not have access to nutrient-dense foods, can Mm -hmm. intuitive eating still be practiced and can they still maintain their health seeing that they are craving Mm. these sugary and fatty uh, foods? Yeah, it absolutely can. And even before I like go into answering that question, I think it's so important that we have dietitians, black dietitians and dietitians of color who can, we have the lived experience, you know what I mean? That can really help inform how we interact with these patients and the recommendations that we give. So I think that's really important, number one, because like you just mentioned, you know, like on social media, intuitive eating, it's, it's a very white space, right? And so I don't, of course, um, I, I know people try and some people do do a, a, a good job or an okay job of, you know, addressing the nuance and addressing how intuitive eating can apply to different populations. But to answer the question, that's a really tough question. But the first thing, so intuitive eating, a lot of people think it's like, just eat what you want, but right. you can't really access intuitive eating if you don't have consistent access to food. Right. If you don't, you know, if you don't know where your next meal is coming from. Or if you don't have time to make your next meal, or if you don't have the money to access food. So that's like the, that's the main thing. That's the foundation. We have to make sure we are providing resources and saying, well, you have to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We have to make sure our clients are nourishing themselves and are caring for themselves with what's available and what's affordable and what's convenient before we, you know, start to look at how nutritious it is. And before we start talking about micronutrients and macronutrients, you know, cause there, you know, there are a lot of challenges within um, those communities where access is lacking. 
and it contributes to stress and it contributes to anxiety and that all, which also contributes to like hypertension and these chronic illnesses. So at the very least, we want to make sure that they have access to foods first. And once we know that that's available, um, then we can begin to go into like nutrient density. But honestly, if somebody, I feel like diabetes is a good example, like type two diabetes, for example, they, they're not eating breakfast or lunch, or they're really hungry still after they eat their breakfast or their lunch or their dinner, and then a donut is placed in front of them or a sugary beverage is placed in front of them, what do we expect them to do? For, the, for someone like me who doesn't understand intuitive eating, I'm looking at this and I'm saying to myself, how is someone with diabetes going to take this? Yeah, honestly, let me say this. When I first found intuitive eating, I felt the same way. I was like, what is this? Like, why... Why is everybody eating donuts and cupcakes? And <laughs> at this time, like around that time, I was, I would eat a lot of sweets and I would get headaches from eating sweets. But I mm-hmm. think it was because I was eating a lot, a lot of it. You know, I wasn't eating intuitively or anything. I would diet. I would do like a whole 30 or eat a real small amount of food. So now I'm talking about my own personal intuitive eating journey. Sorry, guys. But that's I'm okay. <laughs> I have a point that I'm getting to. And so then I would binge on sweets and it would hurt my teeth. I would get headaches mm-hmm. from it. And so when I saw that on social media, I was like, this kind of like, what is this? I, I'm not doing this. Why are they all eating cupcakes? This is like, yeah, mm-hmm. like I was like mad at it, you know? So I can see how people will, will look at it and just think that intuitive eating is about eating junk or, or whatever you want to call it. But then I just got tired of dieting. I just didn't want to, I just didn't want to diet anymore. So I ended up exploring it more and reading the book. And then when I read the book, I realized that that's not what it was about. Mm -hmm. But I think social media is the easiest way to kind of get the message across. But just in this conversation, realizing even more than I realized before that it's not doing a really good job. I really think it's misleading to our communities who are battling with um, renal disease and hypertension and high blood glucose that you can eat whatever you want. And a lot of times when I see on social media, people who are practicing the non-diet culture and promoting intuitive eating, they've gone from being a certain size and have, they've gained weight um, during the intuitive eating process. So my thing is, is intuitive eating promoting being you know, bigger. Cause for me, um, you know, I just had a baby and I'm on my fourth child. And every time I have, I'm pregnant, I gain about 50 pounds. And although I've learned to love myself at whatever size that I am, that's something that I learned to do. My body does not like me being at this size. Like my knees, they don't like <laughs> me being this <laughs> size. So I, I I want to lose weight and I don't want to just eat whatever and stay the size. So are we going on one end of the spectrum to the other, like one and we were um, shaming people for being big. And now are we shaming people for wanting to lose weight and be a certain size? I wouldn't say shaming people. It's more so the diet industry and diet culture that shames people who are in larger bodies. And there's also like structural, I'd say like structural oppression when it comes to larger bodies. Like 
there's chairs and seating on airplanes and things like that. I think that's where, you know, that's why it's like a, it's a social justice movement, health at every size. But when it comes to an individual wanting to lose weight, your body, when you use yourself as an example, your body is most likely going to, whether you diet or, or you know, not exercise or not, depending on your body type and your genetics and all those things, probably will get back to the weight that it's supposed to be at. You know, so just regarding weight gain and intuitive eating, if you gain weight by listening to your body and by responding with the resources that are available to you, then there's a good chance that you probably needed to gain weight. And that would tell me that you were suppressing your weight by using those external tools like calorie counting and over-exercising and counting points or just intentionally under eating or ignoring or questioning your hunger. And so in that case, weight gain was going to happen at some point, but by gaining weight or restoring your weight during the intuitive eating process, um, you're probably going to be more psychologically capable of coping with the feelings that come up around that. So for example, if somebody, I don't know, uh, gosh, I hope I'm answering your question. I don't, I don't think it's, you know, another end of the spectrum, it's more just being more accepting of our natural bodies and how our bodies are supposed to be. And I'm not saying that you're supposed to maintain that 50 pound weight gain that you make that you gained during pregnancy at all. But if it takes a longer time to come off, for example, that's okay. Right. If it doesn't come off, then that's okay. Did I answer your question, Joanne? Yeah, you did. You did. I mean, we've talked about this before in season one in regards to like snapback culture and, you know, social media basically uh, forcing people, I feel like, to snap back after they've had a baby. And I'm not into that. I don't believe in that. I breastfeed. I breastfeed exclusively um, for the first six months. And then I go into, um, you know, over a year after that. And for me, if I lose my weight too fast... It shocks my body and my milk supply decreases. So my milk supply for me is more important. So I don't worry about losing my weight, but I do know that it's it, it's gradually going down. And my body does not like being this big because my, my, my knees hurt and I, I'm not as, or I'm moving as fast as I usually like to or whatnot. And, and I work out. It's not that I'm sedentary. I work out and whatnot you know, to try to strengthen my body up after being pregnant and carrying this child. But my thing is that I feel like is, is it what I see on social media? It seems like we're promoting with intuitive eating that you automatically gain weight. Like I saw someone talk about they had a client and the client came back to them saying that they gained 20 pounds when they came to them for weight loss or wellness and they gained 20 pounds and she didn't know how to explain to that client practicing intuitive eating why is it that they gained 20 pounds and how do they not do that yeah so yeah that's another a tough one but it's like honestly it's reality so if you listening to your body and honoring your hunger and honoring your fullness and you end up gaining 20 pounds and I I would just wonder, I mean, I'm curious about where they started. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, Sometimes restoring your weight, sometimes it really means that you needed to gain that weight, um, depending on how deep you were in dieting and how much you were restricting. And so 
gaining 20 pounds during intuitive eating, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I wish I would have, I wish I had more information about it, but gaining 20 pounds during intuitive eating, kind of like what I was saying, it, it's better to do it when you're going through the intuitive eating process than to do it after, to wait cycle after a diet because you're more psychologically equipped to handle that because you're, you're working on rejecting the diet mentality and you're working on the reasons like those underlying foundational reasons as to why you were restricting in the first place or suppressing your weight in the first place. There's also, you know, a chance that during this, you know, we, we just don't know everything that's going on. I have not seen that in my practice yet. I've seen mm-hmm. people you know, gain, gain a little bit of weight and lose weight. Some people maintain weight, but I would just go back to, you know, what my philosophy is as an intuitive, as a dietitian, who's also an intuitive eating counselor and and talk about, you know, how, how you feel about it, you know, and this is, you know, my philosophy is I don't promote weight loss and you're doing the things that feel good for you. You're, you're, engaging in behaviors that feel good and you're practicing behaviors that feel good and you've gained weight as a result of that, you know, what else happened? Like, were there any other, I mean, I don't mean to say consequences, but there were there consequences of it or are you only Mm. looking at it as a bad thing because it's weight gain? So I do have a question, Ayana. So let me ask you this. So seeing that you stated that if a person gains 20 pounds, maybe that's where their body needed to be. So for someone like me, who is a diabetes educator, what if I like, how, how, how does that relate to someone that has diabetes and I want to manage their weight to help bring down their A1C? Mm-hmm. I know this may be a tough question. I know it may be a tough question. Yeah, y'all throwing these questions. I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> I would say, um, no, that's a great question. I would say I would want to work with, you know, if there's somebody who has diabetes and their diabetes educator or endocrinologist, they want them to manage their weight. My first question would be, you know, how would, if, if there were somebody like in a quote unquote normal size body, what recommendations would you be giving them? And I would ask if we could work on that first and put the weight loss on the back burner so that we can work on the mm-hmm. things like you know, everything else, like the whole lifestyle. So for example, if it's somebody who's not eating regular meals or somebody who's night eating, or if we can incorporate um, joyful movement or some sort of movement, research shows that 95, over 95% of people who participate, who lose weight through intentional weight loss, gain it back and they tend to regain more and weight cycling increases the risk of, of insulin resistance. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if, you're, if we're gonna lose weight, let's lose weight by focusing on the health behaviors as opposed to just the weight. Right, you know, exactly. We know that these chronic diseases, they just don't come from, from not exercising and it just doesn't come from food. And I know food and a high intake of sugar can contribute, you know, or can it, or, you know, it is related, but there are other things too. And if somebody has a diet that's really high in sugar and if that's all they're eating and if they're not, incorporating like fruits or vegetables or protein, then I think that needs to be looked at too. We need to figure out why. So I think that's a, I think that's a great question, but I would just want to work as part of the medical team. So if I had a client who had diabetes and you were their educator, I would ask, I would have them sign a release to see if I could talk to you and share information with you so we could work together. 
Um, but, you know, as a dietitian, as a certified intuitive eating counselor, I would initially ask if we could put that weight loss in the back burner and work on other things. That is true. I did like the fact that you said lifestyle interventions instead of just focusing on weight cycling. Um, Because that really is how to manage diabetes in the long term. It's a whole lifestyle, like looking at your sleep patterns, like what you mentioned earlier, and your access to food. So that is true. I think in the medical community, we just focus on the numbers so much instead of the person. But I will say with you and I, Kim, like our, how we practice, we're more about behavioral changes. Yeah, we do. Anyways, you know, I think most um, dietitians who are, we're educated, we're nutrition experts or whatnot, we focus more on the behavioral changes than just looking at the number. That's not the way to go. That's something we already, you know, True. know, know to do and whatnot. Um, so I wanted to also bring out, Ayana, so from everything that you have just stated, I think, you know, you actually gave me a clear understanding of intuitive eating because I'm here just thinking, oh, it's it's a framework created to combat rapid weight loss and um, all of these diets that say that you're going to lose weight. But from my understanding, from what you just mentioned, if someone is really listening to their body and taking um, note of the sensory cues, then an individual can gain weight as well. So I I do like that because I know, I just thought it was like, okay, it was a cookies and cake and pie kind of diet. Mm -hmm. Intuitive eating comes off like this is because they're battling the skinny model culture, Mm -hmm. um, six pack kind of abs kind of thing, but you can lose weight from it as well, which I never knew. Right. But so the here's the question. How does one learn to listen to their bodies? Not most people don't know how to do that. Yeah. So um, there are a lot of tools that we learn um, as intuitive eating counselors. That's a really good question. And sometimes sometimes depending on how long you've been dieting and to the, and the extent to which you've been dieting, you can not feel hunger. You know, so it's it's definitely a process. Mm. Um, I never listened to my fullness. And then I would mm. always end up being very, very uncomfortably full. I would always eat beyond fullness. On my own personal intuitive eating journey, I, re- I finally learned. And it's really funny. Like, I thought that I was like this really experienced intuitive eater. But I finally learned like a few months ago that there's a certain fullness that I like. So I so eating beyond fullness a little bit is just something that it's comfortable for me, not to the point where I'm sick, but I realize that I do like to be a little bit full, you know, whereas some people on the hunger fullness scale like to be at like a seven, I like to be at like, or maybe like a six or seven, I like to be at like an eight, which can be really, really full for some people. So it can, it takes a while. It takes lots of practice. I think it's important to eat, um, work with somebody who's an inser- a certified intuitive eating counselor or who specializes in it and who has been trained in it but there are there are lots of ways like on with some of the activities that we do we do body scans you know like with emotional eating activities it's like scan from your feet all the way up to your head how are you feeling so when you're hungry where do you feel that so we ask a lot of probing questions where do you feel your fullness do you sweat when you're really hungry do you shake you know so you just don't feel like your hunger your fullness and your satiety all the time in your belly you can feel it in your mouth and you can feel it in your head. So there, there's a process. You can do it on your own too. I think the intuitive eating workbook is really helpful. Um, and even learning to practice mindfulness, introspective awareness and like meditation can help with that too. 
But do you really think it's for everyone, intuitive eating? Because even for myself, when I, you know, I can use myself as an example with my busy, busy life and running around during the week from one activity to another with kids, I don't, I don't have time to listen to my brain telling me I'm full. So I kind of like, I have to meal prep and know, okay, I need this amount of food. I put it in a bowl and I'm going to eat this at this time. And then that's what I'm going to eat. If I were to sit there and wait until my body tells me to stop eating with all the kids talking in my ears and me doing this and that from one activity to the other, I don't think it would work for me. So is it really for everyone? So I think it's for everyone. I definitely do because we're humans and we're supposed to eat intuitively and respond to our hunger and, you know, respond to our fullness. But also intuitive eating is about our environments and it's also about what you described. So there's something called like practical hunger or eating because you know you won't be able to eat when you're hungry. I mean, when you're hungry because you're going to be busy with the kids. So mm-hmm. that's a part of intuitive eating too. So to me, it sounds like you 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 probably are an intuitive eater if you're planning ahead, right? Because okay. you know you're going to be playing around with the kids. That's like okay. that's, that doesn't mean that it's not intuitive. It doesn't always have to be about like the the inner feelings all okay. all the time. That's you know that's an important part of it. But there's also like a practicality part of it. So that makes a lot of sense. That actually clears up a lot for me, what you just said in regards to intuitive eating, be, you know, planning being part of intuitive, intuitive eating. So it's not only like, okay, I'm sitting right here with a meal in front of me and I'm mindfully, intuitively eating, preparing for the meals that you're about to eat for the day or pre- planning for what may occur that may prevent you to eat, I guess, how you normally eat. That's part of intuitive eating. Yep, that's a part of it too. Um, I think that's a really important part of it. And so there was this picture that um, I always like to refer to for clients that was provided during training. It's like two overlapping circles. And one of the circles represents the individual self or the internal system. And that includes our thoughts and our feelings and our bodies. Like that's who we we are, like as that individual. And the second circle is the external system. It represents the external system or the ecosystem that we function in. And that includes our families, our community, and our culture. And so when those two circles overlap, Mm -hmm. that forms our the represent representation of our authentic self. So we're just not functioning as individuals. You know what I mean? We can't learn language or values or preferences or traditions without that external system. So I do, so intuitive eating does incorporate that, like that whole person. And that is part of, you know, part of who you are and a part of your life. Um, So that's really important. And we would definitely say if you were a client working with an intuitive eating counselor, just the fact that you have your, you know, if you're a busy mom with four kids and a, and a baby, we would have to incorporate that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't, like you said, you might feel hunger at some point, but you got to feed the baby and do this right. and that. And, but you're, so you're planning ahead. And that's definitely a big part of it. You really cleared up all of these questions that we had. Like, honestly, I'm feeling a, a lot more comfortable with the whole entire concept of intuitive oh, eating. Oh, I'm so glad. Based on yeah. On, you know, everything that I'm seeing in the media nowadays that gives, uh, uh, it doesn't even give the full definition. It just gives like a partial definition of what it really is. Right. I think, I think what we're seeing on social media does not give a person the full picture. So for right. me, I would say if any of you out there are 
looking into intuitive eating to look more into it and just not going by what you see on social media, but contacting someone that that's an expert like Ayana to get clarity and answer your questions as opposed to just what you know you see on social media being the only definition or answer that you're looking for. So Ayana, tell us how our audience can connect with you. Yeah, so I am on Instagram. Um, my handle is the Trill R D. So T R I L L R the T R I L L R D. And um, you can go to my website if you want to read more about me. There, it is trulyrealnutrition.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter. I'm not very active on there, but if you want, you can follow me. That'd be great. And then there's one other thing that I wanted to share with you guys. Myself and another dietitian, Veronica Garnett, are starting um, a Haze Aligned Collective um, of Black dietitians. Um, mm-hmm. We identified a need for it. Um, there aren't a lot of people who are really relating to Black people or people of color who want to learn more about intuitive eating and health at every size non-diet approaches. So we're working on that. We are working on a website. It's called reclaimingourplate.com. It should be up soon. I don't know at the time of um, the recording, it's not up, but it might be up a little bit later. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, there should be some more information forthcoming about that on our individual websites and social media. That's interesting. Awesome. And guys, if you want to see the links for Ayana's social media platforms, it's going to be in the description box. You guys can go ahead and take a look at that as well. So Joanne, go ahead and close this out. So basically the takeaway here that I've gotten is that intuitive eating is for everyone. It's not culturally based. You know, anyone can practice it and add it to their day-to-day lives. We just need to get more information. So don't just go by what you see online and social media, really contact somebody who is an expert like Ayana to get the information. So as usual, guys, please um, give us uh, five stars and let us know what you guys think. And please go on our Facebook page, Nutrition Lifestyles um, Podcast um, Facebook page and ask us any questions that you want and we can send them to Ayana or you can go directly to her and ask her any questions that you may have. So let's start this discussion. Thank you once again, Ayana. We appreciate you being a guest on our show. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation.